You're listening to Louisiana Insider, a superlative guide to a great state's destinations. Hosted by Errol Laborde, executive editor of Louisiana Life Magazine. It's not Louisiana song. It's my favorite melody. It's not Louisiana song. Hearing it echo through the cypress trees. topic today is movies, and it's um, a fun topic, one, just because of the nature of the topic, and two, because of the nature of the guest. This is um, Alfred Richard, uh, who is a movie reviewer and, and commentator. Uh, he's written for various publications. He's also seen weekly on Channel 4 uh, in New Orleans on, um, well, on Friday mornings. On Friday mornings, on okay. WUTL. Okay. And he's also seen occasionally on public TV on Stepping Out on Channel 12. So, Alfred, thank you very much. Let's begin by talking about the state of the movie industry in Louisiana. There was a time a few years ago when it was really booming, and then things kind of went bad. I think it was because maybe the state changed its incentive package or something. But but then also the combination of COVID and all those. Uh, and so it got kind of dormant for a while. Is it coming back? It is coming back and coming back with a vengeance. Yes, there was a period of time that of all things, the legislature had changed the rules for tax credits and incentive tax credits for a lot of these producers. And what happened was some of the producers decided they would take their business elsewhere and they went to Atlanta for a long period of time. And then COVID hit and then we were having problems there. but. Thankfully, uh, the legislative changes have been made and a lot of production companies, movie and television production companies have come back to New Orleans and come back to this area. In fact, in this region, from all the way from Lake Charles to even Biloxi and Gulfport, Mississippi, there are about 23 different productions, whether it be televisions or movie productions going on in this area. So Hollywood South is going on pretty well. In fact. I can say uh, I've been on a couple of those productions, one from the AMC company, actually two from AMC, one called The Interview with a Vampire, a series based on the Anne Rice book, and a new Anne Rice series called The Mayfair Witches. So Anne Rice is going to have a big influence in productions in this area. So these are two TV series? Yes, they're both two TV series. They both will be on the AMC network and of course streaming on amc and other ways where you can get your pod you get your broadcast television now well that, that sounds like something pretty prestigious for a i don't know if it's fair to say this but sort of like a, a second tier um network i mean, I mean that's well, big time well what you're seeing is that in the days when we used to have the three big networks of course abc nbc cbs and yes fox as well at that time when they became the fourth but the days when everything was centered around, say, the fall schedule, the fall season, that's gone. You have Netflix, Hulu, AMC, uh, TCM, for that matter, is even doing their own productions. You're seeing a whole different line of productions so that if you want to watch something, you no longer have to tune in at 8 
the 8 uh, p.m. 7 central anymore. You can get it anywhere. And if you have your smartphone, you can get it anytime. So you, do you have a, a standing role in interviewing the a vampire? I have played a couple of roles in the interview with the vampire. Of all things, the one that stood out the most is going to be in episode one, and that's going to debut later this year. I was a photographer. How fitting. The idea that I was a videographer for New Orleans Public Schools for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so they hired me and also a cameraman for Warren Easton High School. So now they say, well, we'd like to hire you as a photographer, the old time flash photographer style. So I was, it was very nice. It was a nice idea and seeing how they work around the city of New Orleans and all the landmarks and making New Orleans look like the time of the 1900s and even up into the 1940s. Now, did they record the whole season already? One season has been recorded and I have on good sources that they're gonna come back for season two of Interview with the Vampire. But of course, the first season will air later this year. This sounds like a winner. I mean, it sounds like something that's to be big. No. Now, it's also backed by the son of the late Anne Rice. She, of course, was very boisterous about her feelings about the original movie starring Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. Well, she eventually came around on that, but in this sense, before she passed away, she had given her imprimatur on this series, and her son, Chris Rice, is one of the main producers. So that's why you're seeing not only Interview with the Vampire, but the Mayfair Witches. And you're getting a lot of big production value out of it. One of the stars out of the Mayfair Witches is the former actor out of L.A. Law and Crash of the Titans, the original Crash of the Titans. With Release the Kraken! That's Harry Hamlin. And he is going to be one of the main characters in that new series. Now, for any of you, the, uh, the vampire, are you in all the episodes? No, I'm in about three episodes, but I've been told they like what I do. So I might be in more, but I'm not going to jinx it. I'm just happy that I was get I get an opportunity to do so. But also, I joked with Eric Paulson on WWL that I plan my plan is very simple, to be in more films than he's been in, but less time on the cutting room floor. <laughs> Were these speaking parts? A couple of speaking parts. Those are the ones I've done a lot of background extras and things like that. But usually they bring me on as a person of a special technical skill, meaning when I've done a series where they're looking for a television camera person, a quick, funny story. I was doing this, I think it was for NCIS New Orleans, which is no longer in production in this area. They were looking at me as a first a reporter, but then they said, the person who was going to operate the video camera had no idea how to operate it. So they went to me and said, Mr. Richard, could you show us how this happened? I looked at the box, took it out, and sounded like Scotty from Star Trek. And I'm going, August front. All right. I opened it up. Less than 30 seconds later, I had it up on the shoulder, lights on, everything going. I said, what do you want me to do now? They said, I think we'll use you as a cameraman at this there time. There you go. There you go. Uh, but I've also been the reporter. I've been the reporter, for example, the NBC series, NBC series, that thing about Pam with Renee Zellweger, which was filmed in this area and on the North Shore. I played what else? A television reporter. Okay. And uh, aren't these long days sometimes? Just sitting around a lot, and then uh... 
uh, you are right, Errol. I've always believed if I ever wrote a book about this or a screenplay, it would be called Hurry Up and Wait. Mm -hmm. uh, many times the call times can be anywhere from 4 to 5 a.m., sometimes <laughs> later. But on average, say it's a 5 a.m. alarm call uh, call to the set. You have to get there, check in, of course, do all the COVID testing that is being done at this point. And then you get ready, makeup, costume, and you wait and wait until eventually you're told, okay, we're gonna do this scene, or we're gonna do this scene. And then eventually, I, uh, I've i been on, for example, the interview with the vampire set, a call time came in for 7 p.m., which means overnight. And so the toughest thing is trying to keep your mind sharp when you're realizing it's 3.45 in the morning and you're still trying to figure out, okay, can I stay awake while pretending to be a victim of a vampire? But, but again, it works out. It's not big money, but uh, it's a nice little addendum. I've noticed a lot of people who are working these films and this is really their job. They come out and they video, they are happy to do these scenes, sometimes with good food, sometimes not. But for someone like myself, who strangely enough on this day, June 30th of 2017, I retired from the Orleans Parish School Board. So today I mark five years that I've been away from covering school board meetings. And you know what? I don't miss it that much at all. Oh, I, I, I can't think that. I know it's kind of a nosy question, but it's what everybody wants to know. Can you give us sort of like a ballpark about how much it pays? Uh, well, it's not nosy. I, I wish I could say that I'm being paid thousands and thousands of dollars and I have a trailer and of course I get M&Ms, the color I want in my bowl. No, I don't get that. Yeah, on average, what you'll see for someone who gets a extra part could be anywhere from the small has been $80 for eight hours and that's very little but usually it's around $125, $140 for 10 to 12 hours of work sometimes more uh, $150, $200 for a specialty for example if you're asked to do a certain trait or if, for example an interview with a vampire if you're asked to be made up to look like a victim they put the makeup on you and you have to look like you've been attacked. You could make as much as $250, $300 for 12 hours of work for a day. What is the movie, what's the, how adequate is the movie production infrastructure in New Orleans? Like they used to complain, well, we got, you know, we don't have enough sound studios. We don't have a lot of the, the technical help. Has that improved? We are starting to see a lot more of that type of infrastructure. There are studios being built. There's one on Chapatulas Avenue of all things production studio. You're also seeing what something is called the ranch. And that is a studio way out in Chalmette. It's in what used to be an old, I think it was a uh, Lowe's or Home Depot or something like that, but it has been converted into a sound stage. And a lot of the scenes from interview with the vampire was shot out there and other productions are being used at that point and now i understand that we are about we might be getting another locally produced and locally owned production studio out in new orleans east so we are gonna it 
is happening with the infrastructure of the young men and women who help make this possible, make all these movies and television series possible, that's developing. Also, you have production trucks, catering trucks. You have a whole lot of different things. You may be seeing them around the area. You'll see the white vans and the white trucks and a lot of shuttles that are going back and forth. We are seeing a big difference. This time, Hollywood South is building the infrastructure needed to continue. I'll tell you one that, that, that I see uh, every week, and that is uh, WYS-TV. When they built yeah. their new station, um, they built a three-story building. And people say, man, there's a lot of space here. But they built it with that in mind. And now I'm told pretty much the entire second floor at that building is rented out. There's a lot of offices for production-related people. And doing things like, you know, going over the films from that day, that sort of stuff. Right. It's been a setting for a couple of movies, too. And so that's an extra income for, you know, public TV. That is. And other production areas, for example, universities such as Xavier University, Tulane University and Loyola, their areas are being converted into sets for films and productions. I was on one yesterday over at Tulane University. So the idea is that everybody's going to get a little bit of the gravy. Even though if you're going somewhere in the neighborhood where it's going on, it tends to be kind of a pain sometimes too. Well, those trucks blocking traffic, you know they're there when they're there. You know it because everybody comes in, the crafts people, the crafty, all the snacks and treats and such, all those production trucks and the lighting gear and such. And so when they invade your area, you know they're there because they're going to come in like a small army. Okay. We do a little thing called this or that with uh, with Kelly. And it's a series of questions where we name two things and tell us what you prefer. There's no scientifically accurate name for this, but we just do it to be doing it. Right. Um, um, even though if we judge you to have not done well, you owe us five hundred dollars. But we'll get oh, back okay. to that later. Okay. 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 Uh, you can get you can get that from my school board account. Okay. <laughs> okay, Kelly. All right. So the first one is about um, recent movies, not New Orleans made movies, but um, Elvis or Top Gun Maverick. Ah. Wow. Okay. Well. I've always I've liked Baz Luhrmann and his style of directing from Moulin Rouge to even Romeo and Juliet. There's a part of me that leans more toward that. Although Top Gun Maverick is very exciting, Tom Cruise is able to keep that type of entertainment value there. And it's great seeing Val Kilmer, even though I know he's dealing with throat cancer, to see him back on the screen. I'm going to go with Baz Luhrmann and Elvis. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. <laughs> People don't know Baz Luhrmann was the director and the producer and the writer and pretty much everything other than Elvis in that movie. Elvis. Other, than, other than Elvis, I'm surprised he didn't take on the part of Tom Parker from uh, Tom Hanks, from Colonel yeah. Parker. But yeah, <laughs> Baz Luhrmann is just a fantastic director of just about everything. <laughs> well, kind of keeping in theme, Jailhouse Rock or King Creole? Mm. Well, goodness. Considering my favorite group is the Electric Light Orchestra, I'm kind of, <laughs> it doesn't even give me either one, but you know, I think I would probably go with Jailhouse Rock. Not, I know King Creole is set in this area here, and such, but I 
still like the image of seeing Elvis sliding down the pole in the jail and doing some of those dance moves. I say that because, of course, the Stompers, the 610 Stompers, for one of our years, we incorporate some of the Elvis moves in our dances. And so, yeah, I guess I would go with Jailhouse Rock. Nice. The third one is a streetcar named Desire or the Big Easy. Streetcar named Desire, because also the actors, the great actors, directed by Elia Kazan. And also, yeah, uh, both movies, the, the dialects aren't really New Orleanian. I mean, let's face it, Dennis Quaid's sounds more like he's coming from an advertisement in Lafayette, Louisiana. He's some party, y'all. But um, I prefer the original Streetcar Named Desire. How could you not love seeing all those performances, including, of course, Marlon Brando's breakout, Stella! And then the last one, we're going to do a, a Brad Pitt uh, moment. Benjamin Button or Interview with the Vampire? I would say Benjamin Button, and here's why. Although Interview with the Vampire gave a lot of people the idea, say, oh, look at Brad Pitt, he's a heartthrob and such, and he made you know, he looks like he was a great vampire to suck out your blood. The Benjamin Button was more emotional because for me as New Orleanian, when that movie, of course, focused on what happened with Katrina and what was going to happen and what happened to us, it still brings tears to my eyes when I think about those scenes and knowing that what was going to take place. And uh, for all of us in this area, August 25th, to August 29th, 2005 will be a landmark time that we all remember where we were, what we were doing. For me, I had to deal with a father who was in the rehab center. And I remember those images of the hospital there in Benjamin Button. I would think about my dad, Nelson. And of course, when I had to evacuate and live with a Wookiee. Yes, I lived with the man and his wife the man who played Chewbacca in all the Star Wars movies, the late, great Peter Mayhew. And it was Peter who said, you know, I can help you get your father to Dallas and get him out of there and couldn't get it in time. But I think about all those times. So Benjamin Button for me is the better one. Okay, I think you passed. I don't think he owes us $500. A couple of memories <laughs> about, about Benjamin Button. One, it was a big deal when it was being filmed. I mean, there were stories all around town about, you know, Benjamin Button might be filming here. Right. Uh, um, uh, might be filming there. And, I, and as I recall, they interviewed a lot of people in the media, you know, for Portland. I never got it, but I guess they got some, uh, some publicity from it. But the um, uh, Crescent City Steakhouse on Broad. Yes. To this day, you go in there, in the ceiling, it's an old-fashioned press tin ceiling yes. that Benjamin Button put in there. And so the old fashioned ceiling is, uh, uh, was put there. But the other thing I remember is that the night of the Academy Awards, everybody thought it was a cinch to win. It was gonna win, you know, there was no right. doubt about it. Uh, and then as the night went on uh, over and over again, Slumdog Millionaire. And, and in the end, Slumdog Millionaire one. And that just kind of surprised people. I always said Benjamin Button got slumdog. Okay. It was, yeah, they were. We all know I could write chapter and verse on what 
the Oscars do and what you don't see. Uh, and not just the slap we heard around the world earlier this year, but we all remember that the year that Saving Private Ryan, I thought Saving Private Ryan was going to sweep everything, was going to get best picture, best director and such. But then when the Oscar for best picture was given and it was given to, I think it was Shakespeare in Love, I said, are you people insane? I just, again, you, you do not make, do not make bank on what the Academy Awards are going to do. Because remember, you could have a situation like La La Land and Moonlight, or you could have when somebody makes a comment and suddenly out of nowhere, <laughs> it's a slap that you don't expect. And for those of you who couldn't see, Alfred actually slapped himself um, when he said that just now. Let's talk about the Alfred Awards here. What would, okay. your pick, what would, what would be your pick, your pick for the best movie made in Louisiana as opposed to set in Louisiana? Best movie made in New Orleans, in Louisiana. Best movie made in Louisiana in this area. Oh my gosh. There have been so many uh, over the many years. Uh, I'm thinking, yeah, I know we've talked about Benjamin Button, interview with the vampire here. I'm trying to, you know, there was one that I really thought did well, and that was Runaway Jury. Runaway Jury filmed a lot downtown uh, at what was at that time, before it became the Supreme Court building, Louisiana Supreme Court building, it was, a, I think it was a wildlife and fisheries building. I do remember when I was a kid taking a tour in that building. And you also had films like Clint Eastwood's Tightrope. And I think for me, Runaway Jury was probably one of the best. Okay. Um, and best movie set in Louisiana. The, oh, oh yes, Beasts of the Southern Wild. That was a film which gave us Quivenzene Wallace, who was the youngest person to ever get an Oscar nomination. And if I had my awards, I would have given the Best Actress Award to Quivenzene because if you don't have Hush Puppy, her character, in this movie, the rest of the movie fails. Yes, you had the man who gave us the buttermilk drops, Wink Henry. He was her father. He did a great job in it. But I thought Beasts of the Southern Wild captured that whole Louisiana essence there. And the Hush Puppy, played by Corvenzene Wallace, was a marvel. And the great thing about it is she didn't go into a big Oscar or movie production career. She went on, she did one movie, a remake of Annie. And you know what? She's become a student and she's become an average person no longer interested in the movie business. And that's sometimes a good thing. Yeah. But speaking of that, has there been like a major star, movie star from Louisiana? Oh, a major movie star from Louisiana? Well, you go back in history. I mean, obviously you could say Dorothy L'Amour. Dorothy L'Amour, she did all the Bing Crosby, Bob Hope movies sure, yeah. in that period of time. Uh, you have... Thinking, of course, of a couple of the other, and there's another actresses on the tip of my tongue. She has been in so many different movies. Even, I believe she was in the Benjamin Button. I'm 
I'm going to get that name. I'm going to get that name again because, ah, oh, how can I forget Patricia Clarkson? Okay. Patricia Clarkson, of course, the daughter of former city council member. Yeah. And she is a true movie star. She does a lot of films. She's been Oscar nominated a couple of times. It's not one yet, but she, I would say Patricia Clarkson is pretty good on that angle as well. Yeah, I remember she was nominated one year, didn't make it, but but she was nominated. Just so that's right. Jackie Clarkson would have been so thrilled with that, you know. So oh, I, I know she would have been extremely thrilled with that. Uh, and I guess we could mention that Harry Connick Jr. did a few movies. I don't know if I. That's true. Harry Connick Jr. He's a New Orleanian, so yeah, I guess he fits the bill there too. Okay, well we're on the roll here. If you can give us a few more minutes, all I'm right. Mention some some movies that either were set or made in Louisiana, and just comment on them just briefly, okay? All right. Just be easy. Easy Rider. Easy Rider, the film that gave us the idea of people thinking that Mardi Gras was the biggest free show on earth and that at that time in 1960, I think it was 1969, that the hippie generation could move down to New Orleans. And of course it gave us Jack Nicholson. Now he had already been in several other films, but his iconic character in Easy Rider was Peter Fonda as well, Dennis Hopper. And of course it gave a picture of Mardi Gras that we had not seen before. And I thought Easy Rider was a classic landmark film showing up the counterculture of the 1960s, early 70s. It was, and it developed a big following. It developed a, a countercultural following, you know? Yeah. Something that I was aware of because uh, I would see it because my family was from central Louisiana was the, the cafe scene. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, that was in the town of... Uh, um, Morganza. Morganza. Called, called Blackie's Cafe. Well, for years after that, that would be a place that people would go out of their way to go see where the cafe scene was, you know? Yes. That lady could have exploited it. I mean, she could have said, this is the Easy Rider Cafe. And she oh, sure. Did. Could have put a big billboard, see where Easy Rider was filmed, and yeah. get the Jack Nicholson sandwich or something like that. Yeah, and she didn't. And it could be one reason that the people in Morganza weren't too happy with the movie. They right. kind of thought it kind of portrayed them as being hicks, uh, which I guess it did, okay. And uh, so she kind of kept it low, but a lot of people went to that cafe. And ultimately when she died and then they tore it down and there was discussion about putting up the kind of plaque or monument saying this is where that scene was was uh, filmed. Well, right. the, the ultimate compromise is inscribed in the sidewalk. Uh, it's not a plaque, it's something I need to go up to and look down to be able to read that this is where it was filmed, and they and they mentioned the people who were um, who were in it. Um, we mentioned Streetcar, okay. I think Streetcar is probably clearly one of the important uh, movies that was set in New Orleans. Yes. Um, how about the Tarzan movie, the original Tarzan movie? Oh my goodness, those going back way back. <laughs> we have to really get into the way back machine for those. Yeah, those were filmed out in the swamps of Louisiana. And in Chafalaya, yeah. In Chafalaya. So yes, you had that. And there was a lot of elements from those films back then that people were going, oh my God, where is this? Where is this jungle primeval? It's outside of New Orleans, people. That's where it was. I think it was headquartered in Morgan City. And then, which wasn't too far from it, Mandingo. 
<sighs> okay, now talk about controversy. Yeah, Mandingo. Definitely a film that probably wouldn't be on a great list of my uh, films. Uh, yes, it starred Ken Norton, and the, who was at that time the heavyweight champion, heavyweight boxing champion of the world. But at that time, also, it played upon the idea of the slave masters and the uh, power of the big buck slave over white females. And it was, uh, let's just put it this way, it's not on my list of great films to see because it brought a whole bunch of those type of films, Mandingo and all that. I just, I thought it was best done years ago in a Saturday Night Live sketch where the character Mandingo or what they're calling Mandingo in the sketch is with this young woman and he she says pleasure me my ebony buck and I thought oh goodness gracious this is certainly not for my nephews or for me for even of a different ilk oh yeah um Alvin Costello go to Mars okay Abbott and Costello, first of all, the film has them going to Mars. Of course, they don't. But also, they wind up in a spaceship and transporting supposedly to the Mardi Gras. Now, is it shot in New Orleans? No. The film had, was shot on the Universal Studios back lot in California. And of course, they had people with giant heads walking around. And that's what they think are the aliens. Oh, Abbott, we've got these big aliens coming at us. It's a Mardi Gras parade. But of course, they don't think that it's anything other than they're on a different planet. So yeah, uh, considering if that's the case, Errol, I would prefer a film two films, if you're talking about New Orleans background. One, The Wacky World of Dr. Morgus, which had in it the late, great Sidnewell, of course, as Morgus, and now the late Chris Owens, who played the role as Miss Chris Owens. And another great film of that cheesy venue, because I used to run the New Orleans Worst Film Festival, it was called Mardi Gras Massacre. It starred Wayne Mack, the former WDSU sports reporter and voice to the Saints. And it also starred Dr. Frank Minyard. He played a pivotal role. Dr. Minyard, who was the coroner for New Orleans for many years, he was the coroner in this movie. Needless to say, Mardi Gras Massacre is not one that the AFI, the American Film Institute, is going to put down as a classic for them. Okay. And one last in this category, JFK. Okay, JFK, of course, following on the Jim Garrison background, the Jim Garrison conspiracy theory. Yeah, a lot of it was filmed here in New Orleans and a lot of New Orleans doubled for Washington DC and other areas, but it was a big production in this area. Kevin Costner loved being in this area and filming it. And you had so many other actors come out of it. But JFK, you're right. That's a film that sort of snuck under from the days and from the uh, canon of Oliver Stone. Yeah. Um, I guess my one objection to it is that I don't know if Oliver Stone was, was, was trying to present this as being the Bible, like here's what really happened. Right. But he was wrong. Okay. It I mean, was wrong. He actually presented the movie audience where 
where things have been disproven. And this is a, a topic that people are still trying to figure out what happened, you know, so anyway. Garrison had his theory, but unfortunately, uh, I thought Oliver Stone, in my opinion, as a critic, I thought Oliver Stone used that as chapter and Bible and verse, saying, okay, this is actually what happened. And that, not, that wasn't necessarily the case. No, it wasn't, yeah. Um, the, actually, I, thought, I mentioned some other movies that people in the media, sometimes they're called to audition. I think they just see this cheap publicity. But uh, I was called to audition for The Coroner. Uh, and I went in and I was given a, a line to read. I remember, I remember it had some like profanities in it. And I was reading that. Yeah. And the last word is that the woman auditioned. She said, I think we found our coroner here. Of course, I never heard from him again. Uh, <laughs> and, and when the movie came out, there was a scene with the coroner, which might have lasted. Like Kevin Cosner, he asked him, hey, do you have the files? The guy said, yeah. And then that was pretty much it. So it wasn't that, much, um, wasn't that much of a, of a role. I want to ask you about the six ten stompers. All right. Uh, but before that, let me say this quickly. What do you think about the state of the movie industry? The state of the movie industry considers this. I think what we've seen, I mentioned this earlier, it's no longer just Paramount, 20th Century Fox, or even Disney, whatever, Pixar. You have so many different ways of films and video productions being made in this country that it's no longer the big companies. In fact, we found this out during the pandemic that some companies refused to stream their films and said, if they aren't released in theaters, we're not releasing them. Now theaters are coming back. And first of all, I'm just glad to see the theaters are coming back, like our local Britannia Uptown, which had severe damage from Ida, but came back. But for a long while, even during the height of the pandemic, a lot of movies weren't available. And so there wasn't much for the theaters to put out, and there wasn't much for the producers to put out. So it wound up being one of those things where all right, movies will get back to we'll get back to shows, and now they're doing so. We're seeing more and more product coming out, and I'm glad to see that. And hopefully, it will mean that you will see more product, more films, and productions of different cultures, different ideas as well, and not just standard. Let's remake every film that we've had from the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. You know, just speaking quickly about theaters in, in New Orleans, uh, thank goodness for the Britannia because it's one of the last of the, uh, the single screen theaters. And something, and, and bless these guys for trying, is the Broad Street, which yes. is a version, I think, of an old automotive warehouse or something. And they <laughs> made a respectable theater facility out of that. Uh, no, it, 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 it's a multiple screen, but it's still out there, and you don't need to go out to the suburbs to see a movie. I mean, uh, you're in town, and so I, um, I appreciate that. Okay, I like, I like the broad. I it's, it's I like the fact of all things that I can recall that the broad is just down the way from what used to be Facto Bank when I was growing up, where you get your car painted. Okay, <laughs> we'll remember that. The uh, for those who don't know about it, because uh, there is in New Orleans a now famous and beloved. I guess it's called March. I don't know if it's actually marching or, or dancing group called the Six Ten Stompers. Right. And it's a, a bunch of guys. And with your um, 
your motto like we are ordinary men with extraordinary moves okay ordinary and it's a dance i guess you it's more mark it's marching it's dancing it's performing and the group has been in vogue since 2009 when the saints were making their run toward the super bowl and they we got caught up in it because it was all part they became part of the buddy d the buddy diliberto uh dress parade because you you remember errol buddy diliberto was a wwl sports reporter and also radio and he would get people calling in and saying uh, buddy don't don't you think the saints will ever make the super bowl and he would say you know if the saints ever make the super bowl i'm gonna put on a dress and dance down bourbon street well he never got a chance to see us get to the super bowl but at that time uh, bobby Aber was a voice and he said he would carry on the tradition if the saints were to get to the super bowl when they won the NFC Championship against the Vikings, 31-28, uh, we all remember that score, that started the ball rolling for what would become this parade where you had thousands of guys, and I was one of them, to run to Goodwill and Salvation Army to try to find a dress to wear. And when I had my black and gold dress, and I got it because my mom, my late mom, actually had a black and gold two-piece dress outfit, and I fitted it for myself. I noticed on the parade route near the Superdome that there were these guys in red jackets, white headbands and blue short shorts, and they were doing their dancing and moving. And I remember saying to my friend who was with me at that time, I said, there is no way that I would ever be in that group there. Well, a few months later after the Super Bowl win, uh, the Stompers came to WWL television and it was Eric Paulson and Sally Ann Roberts who said, Alfred, you should go on and dance with them. And I said, I don't know any of their moves, Sally Ann. Uh, Brett Patron, who was the leader of the group, the founder of the Stompers, his nickname was Slab, or is Slab, he's still there, his brothers and such. Originally, it was just gonna be a one-off group, but it was such a success from the Saints Parade and the Super Bowl Victory Parade, they decided let's develop more. And I tried out in 2010 and I made the tryouts. And when Slab put his sweaty arm around me and said, how does it feel to be the first African-American 6'10 stomper? I said, I feel like Jackie Robinson, except without a bat. <laughs> and thus began my journey with them. Uh, my nickname with the stompers is the Chocolate Thunder. <laughs> and it always seems to get a good reply from the audience, but I'll tell you, We've had over 100, our group is almost as big as 120 guys, all different shapes and sizes, and I do mean shapes, uh, sizes. We have men of color, Hispanic, Asian, gay, straight, bi, whatever the case may be. Even a young man who is our first 610 stomper in a wheelchair. His nickname is the Low Rider, <laughs> and he, has performed with us in the New York Macy's Day Parade. And I've been there, thankfully, I've been with them for 2010. And I've been with the Macy's Parade events three times in 2011, 2015, and 2019. And knocking on wood, hopefully they'll invite us back in 2023. And so uh, it is an amazing thing. We are, yes, the only male 
dance troupe. You have groups like the Pussyfooters and the Muffaladas and the Mandy Milkshakers on the North Shore. But the New Orleans own 610 Stompers, except no substitutes. Now, I know there's a group out there out toward the Bayou area, they call themselves the 510 Swampers, <laughs> but they walk around with their white swamp boots on. But no, if you see a 610 Stomper, and we don't do this for fame and glory, we do this, we dance and give the money that we raise to charity. And one of our biggest charities is St. Michael's Special School. And so I can say this, I am proud to have been a six-tenth stomper, and I still will remain a six-tenth stomper until eventually they say, well, now he's brittle chocolate. We got to move <laughs> You know, a lot of people think that the name is from a section of interstate or something. But no, that's the section in the Saints, I mean, the Superdome, that's where the right. founders were sitting. That's right. The founders, they, they still have their season tickets in section 610. And whenever we perform in the Superdome for preseason or season game, we usually do our formations, which is sort of like getting cats together and grouping them together. But we all get our different moves in. And then we run toward the area nearest section 610 on the field and point up and just shout, yell out, six time stoppers. And so it's, it's a dance group, it's a musical group, it's a fraternity uh, where you don't have to be spanked. And it's fun and it's very, very popular. I mean, people love it. I remember the first time the Stompers, hope the, the Stompers were in the Macy's Parade. And I was watching, I was, uh, you know, we watched the Macy's Parade and we we're just waiting for y'all to come on. Yes. And, and y'all did. And the two announcers were totally confused. They had no idea what they were seeing. <laughs> they were stunned, okay? And they even yeah. kind of explained, oh, well, what's this? We're, we're not sure. Uh, now they got it straight. Now they know, okay? They, now they, they know. Uh, quick story, Errol. In our first year in 2011, we were supposed to practice in on Herald Square, but it was a rainy night, and we wound up being delayed because the Rockettes had to get their time in. So we're in the Macy's perfume and cosmetics section, just waiting and waiting. Then finally, after a two and a half hour wait, they said, six and stompers, you can take the street. We ran out there, started to get into our first positions. And then the NYPD came out and said, nope, we need the street back. Sorry guys, it's over. And we were devastated thinking, oh no, we haven't shown NBC and the Macy's people what we're going to do. So the next day, at the hotel we were staying at, their big ballroom, we had to give NBC a truncated version of what we were going to do because one of the scenes was that we were going to open up our jackets and show up our 610 Stomper logo. They were afraid that we might be dropping trow at that point or something else, but we said, no, it's a, it's a family show. And so we were gonna give a family performance. And I still remember hearing the words of Matt Lauer, before he got in all kinds of trouble, when he said, you know, I really can't see, I really can't determine what we're seeing right now after we finish. So let's move on to our next performer. But the thing was, we danced the entire time for the parade. We didn't stop. We didn't lip sync. We just danced and gave more power. And we had to. It's 35, 40, 35 to 40 degrees in a blowing wind in New York, and you got to keep warm when you're not wearing tights. Well, we're all very proud of you. 
don't you just hate it when you need to do something and it gets delayed by the Rockettes? Yeah, you know, that's that's the problem. You know, I, if society is such that uh, I can't do this, oh, the Rockets are in my way. Oh, yeah. well, it happens all the time, all the time. Okay. Alpha has been fun. It's been a lot. Any film coming down the pike that you're aware of that we should be aware of, that we should be aware of? Aside from the idea of mentioning about those series, of course, of Interview with the yeah. and the Mayfair Witches. As for films, there are a lot that are still getting problems in development, not in this area, but for example, uh, Will Smith was had one called Sacred Motivation. And that film was one that he was filming up in Atlanta. Then Atlanta had their problems or Georgia had their problems and the whole production was moved down to New Orleans in Louisiana. Now it's in development limbo because of the controversies surrounding Will Smith. It's going to be interesting. Sacred motivation kind of reminds me a lot of 12 Years of Slave, 12 Years of Slave, that style of film. But again, we'll see when it comes out or if it comes out. And if it does, will Will Smith receive any type of consideration for it? Okay. Well, then. One day, I think they should make a movie about the Six Ten Stompers. There is a young woman. I've known her in Los Angeles. She is a producer. She's come to the Six Ten Stompers on a couple of occasions. One day, we're going to get the opportunity. And if Tracy can get this movie, ever get ever have this movie done, I've always joked with the Stompers, I would like to see Chris Rock play my character. But of course, in my case now, of course, I can see Will Smith saying, no, I'm going to play that <laughs> character. And it uh, all brawl takes sense. And I said, guys, let's just settle this. Let's have Denzel Washington play me. What's well, another thing? Don't you say when two movie stars fight over playing you? <laughs> you know, you know if, if that happens, if that ever happens to the point that you have characters like that fighting over me, I'm just glad that nobody's going to suggest, oh, well, let's see, we can have... Well, no, he's gone. Unfortunately, that was a young man who was in dis uh, different strokes. Uh, so Gilbert got no, not Gilbert Godfrey, but <laughs> uh, the character from Different Strokes. What you're talking about, Willis? At least no one's going to be able to do that. Okay. Well, anyway, this has been Alfred Richard, who's a, a film critic and reviewer. Uh, he's seen in New Orleans uh, each Friday on Channel Four in New Orleans, and then also uh, occasionally on. Uh, public TV on the Stephen Out program. Alpha, it's been fun. We'll be looking for you on the parade route. It's been fun. <laughs> okay, thank you. All right, then. Thanks for listening to Louisiana Insider. Subscribe, like, and rate our show where you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media at Louisiana Life Mag. Executive producer for Louisiana Insider is Kelly Massico in cooperation with Louisiana Life Magazine. For subscription information to Louisiana Life, call 504-828-1380. Our theme music was provided by Rich Collins. Hey, that's me. Join us again next week for more discoveries inside Louisiana.